and welcome to Change is Possible podcast. My name is Ani Filipova and I'm your host. When I left my banking career to try something new, the number one question everyone asked me was, how did you find the courage? The thing is, it's not about the courage. It is about knowing what you want and planning for it. That's why I started this podcast to help you make your career change possible. Each of our guests have done a successful career change and we are going to discuss practical advice, actionable tips and inspirational stories that can help you to get unstuck and transition into work that you love. Let's get started. My guest today is Binod Shankar. He started off in industrial banking in India before moving to work with KPMG, Anderson and Ernst Young. He then joined Nikhil Inc., the iconic Dubai property developer, where he was double promoted to finance director. After 17 years in corporate, Binot quit his executive director job at the listed asset manager to co-found and lead Genesis. And under his leadership, Genesis quickly became a highly respected training company that was also the largest CFA prep provider in the Middle East. It was acquired by Kaplan Inc., the global training and publishing giant. Today, Pinot is a platform speaker, an executive coach, a regular blogger, a frequent market analyst on CNBC and Bloomberg, and he's a fellow podcaster too. He has his podcast, The Real Finance Mentor, that focuses on finance careers. But what is interesting, he is also an endurance athlete specializing in long distance running, high altitude hiking, mountaineering, and high altitude long distance cycling. Wow, that's a big list. He has completed five half marathons and two full marathons, summited 12 mountains across Europe, Africa, Nepal, and India. Binot, I'm so happy to welcome you here. Thank you so much, Annie. And I'm very excited about our discussion because I know you're going to share a lot of interesting facts. Yes. Let's dive into it. Sure. And let's start with you giving us a bit more details uh, about your corporate career so the listeners can build the picture of your knowledge and experience. Sure, Annie. Thanks once again for inviting me on this podcast. I love your focus on career changes and career pivots. It's such an important topic and I compliment you and I'm sure it will do well as a podcast. Thank you. To answer your question, Annie, about my corporate career. So as you mentioned in the introduction, I started my career in South India in an industrial bank just after qualifying as a chartered accountant. So that's how I got into the bank. They were looking for chartered accountants and I was 25 years old. And I loved that job because it was not accounting, it was project appraisal, where you looked into applications for loans and you analyzed them financially. And then you went and submitted the proposal to the board with all the big guys around the table and you had to fight for your proposal. That's quite interesting. After which I spent about six years in audit and due diligence with the big five then. Now they are the big four. They have lost one (laughs) (laughs) with the KPMG in Oman and Anderson and Ernst & Young in Dubai. So by then I'd spent about, yeah, like I said, six years in audit. It was getting, you know, quite monotonous and mechanical. And as you know, well, then at least it was not easy to go up the ranks. Yeah. 
in a big five firm. So I say, you know what? I can't wait 20 years to become a partner. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, life is too short. So then this opportunity came with this government-owned, iconic real estate development company called Nakheel. It was quite small then, but it was doing some fantastic projects like the Palm Islands you see from, from space. And so I got this opportunity to become the financial analysis manager, just basically looking after cash flow forecasts for projects and feasibility studies. But then the company grew and grew and grew, and they had multi-billion dollar projects. And so before I knew it, I was handling many things, including this big debt raising of 3.5 billion US dollars, the world's largest Islamic bond. And I also got promoted to finance director. And it was fantastic because you were dealing with architects, quantity surveyors, experienced real estate development people from around the world. So I learned a lot there outside of finance as well. And then I spent maybe about one year or so in various positions as finance director, executive director. My last position was executive director at listed asset manager, where my scope covered the entire Middle East, North Africa and South Asia region. And that was when, of course, I did my career pivot, but more about that later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So interesting career. You already changed from finance to uh, property development, etc. So very interesting. So um, why did you decide it was very successful run? Mm. So why did you decide to leave and what were your driving factors? Yeah. This is what people keep asking me, man. Why did you leave corporate career? Yeah. So it was the height of the global financial crisis, right, 2009. And I was headhunted by this big listed asset manager. They wanted me to become executive director of their real estate arm across all their projects. So I managed a team of around 20 people spread across the MENA region. And it was a good pay, great title. The company looked good from outside. But after you join, you know, that's when you find out the, the interesting stuff, right? Yeah. Whether it's a relationship or you join a company, everything looks great from outside. So after I joined, I found it was not as great as I, I thought it was. There was lack of operating freedom. It was a very political organization, you know, where you had to really kiss ass to move up, to put it bluntly. Yeah. And as you know, the worst thing you can have in any situation in a company is a boss who is, I mean, in my case, he was overcritical, very insecure guy, very incompetent. and I also miss my friends in Dubai and the Dubai lifestyle because this company was not in Dubai, right? So yeah. one day in April, after a long and unnecessary argument with my, with my boss, which was about how should you write a particular letter? <laughs> I know, I know. On which we spent two hours debating the language, the structure, the grammar, and everyone had left Annie and gone home. <laughs> I was sitting in my office at, I still remember like it happened last night. I was sitting in my office in the skyscraper, high above, looking down on the traffic, my lights, all the lights off. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? That's the first time I really had a hard look at the reason I was doing this. You know, I'm single. I was still single. I didn't have any obligations. I didn't have college tuition to pay for kids or some expensive mortgage or something. I live and I still live then and now a ridiculously Spartan lifestyle, right? I didn't need the title or the money. And I'm thinking, you know, why are you doing this, right? And then I called up. So by then, and we'll go into that later, by then 
this Genesis, this financial training company that I co-founded, had been running part-time for about nine months, Annie, right? Mm. Part-time is as in there was no full-time employee and I used to fly in, fly out and take lectures on weekends. So I called up one of my co-founders, a guy I respect a lot. I look upon him like my elder brother kind of person. I said, you know what? This is my situation. I hate the job. I don't know why I'm here. What should I do? And he said, look, there's a company that does financial training. You're brilliant at training. You love it. It needs a CEO. Come back and run it. (laughs) And I was like, you know, like, boom. Yeah. Wow. Why didn't I think of that? It was, I swear, it was like someone, it was like I was handcuffed all this time and someone just unlocked the chains. No, I can imagine. I can relate totally. So I slept over it, as you can imagine. It was a very sleepless night. (laughs) And the next day, my mind was made up. I returned my Blackberry. Yeah, we had Blackberries then. (laughs) We are talking about a long time ago. I remember those. (laughs) I returned my Blackberry and my access card to the HR director who was shocked who strongly encouraged me to take back my resignation, go home, think about it. So I went home and thought about it and came back and still resigned. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the the push from corporate and the pull from entrepreneurship and freedom and teaching. So it is a push and pull effect, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is that you did have the side hustle, as they call it these days, of teaching. And it was there, right? So my next question was about, did you have a plan? I guess that you had a subconscious plan kind of in your mind with this side hustle, never thought that it can be your main thing, right? Yeah, I mean, if you had asked me, Annie, in 2005, 6, 7, do you think that you would be a full-time entrepreneur and trainer? I said, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. No way. But <laughs> I never saw myself as an entrepreneur, corporate warrior, CFO, CEO, maybe, or CEO. But yeah, so there was a plan and the plan happened almost organically. You know, it wasn't really like I decided to quit and then I worked backwards. No. Yeah. So just to give a bit of background, I mean, I'd been teaching in India since I was 26, uh, part-time, I mean. And I've been teaching university students, CHR account students, executives even. And I knew based on the feedback that I got that I was pretty good at teaching. I also knew I liked it a lot. I liked it because it gave me a lot of freedom and independence. In class, you own the classroom. You know that. You have been teaching as well, right? You own the space, <laughs> right? Yeah. No one tells you what to do. And then sometime in 2006, after coming to Dubai, I started teaching CFA preparation part-time basis at some institutes. And again, I got good feedback. Mm. So sometime in 2007, three of us, all CFA charter holders, all friends who are part of the CFA community, we started volunteering to teach CFA candidates. We volunteered, we volunteered our time. And we ran a couple of batches and we got great feedback. And then one of us, it wasn't me, (laughs) one of us said, listen, why don't we take it commercial? Because there seems to be a good market for quality CFA training in the region. That's how we set up this company in July, 2008 in Dubai which you're allowed to do as expatriates. You're allowed to set up a company, a free zone. You don't need local participants. So we set it up. We called the company Genesis. I still don't know why we called it Genesis. <laughs> there was a lot of short list of names anyway. And at that point, I had no plans to quit corporate and join full time. I was still in corporate life. But then after a couple of finance director rules, Annie, where I lasted between two and four months, 
a sign that it was time to quit, probably. You know? yeah. I eventually left corporate, as I mentioned in the previous, my answer to the previous question, because by then, very importantly, Genesis, the company that we co-founded, was rapidly picking up financially and reputationally. It was at a stage where it would benefit a lot by getting full-time leadership for growth. I see. So yes, I tested my plan before I quit corporate. I had a side hustle before I quit corporate. And since, of course, it is much easier to quit. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the financial side because we might have great plans and want to do this and that. But if we are yeah. not financially independent, it is that much more difficult. Mm-hmm. So how did you prepare for that? Do you have any practical advice how people should prepare for such a move, save, invest, what to do with bonuses? Does it need investing and looking forward being financially independent you plan to be in five years? Should Mm. you start in the beginning of your career? Tell me more about this. I think this is a very important question. Sure. Before I start, I loved your recent LinkedIn post where you said you had talked to quite a few people who had done a career pivot and one common factor was how frugal they had been and how much they had saved and invested before they quit corporate life. Exactly, yeah. And that, I think, is the great point. And I think that's my story as well. I'll tell you the details, mm-hmm. right? So by the time I'd quit my company to join full-time, I had enough money in the bank to last me for quite some time. The financial issue was the last thing on my mind because I'm single. And like I said, I have a very basic lifestyle. I did have a couple of mortgages, Annie, a leftover from Dubai property boom days <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where I was so stupid to buy some expensive property. But that was manageable because the payments wouldn't start for a few more years. But like I said, because I saved money, I spent very little. Dubai can be a very tempting place to live with all the parties and eating out and shopping, but I never indulged in all that. And of course, my situation was special, Annie, because I was 40 when I quit. Most people of my age will have a family and they'd have school or college going kids by the time they've had enough of corporate life, right? That's a lot of expenses. So my situation wasn't that. But that's the important point you raise. So the question is, how much money do you need in your bank? Depends on two things, right? A, how long it will take before your freelance slash entrepreneurship career is cash flow positive? Mm-hmm. And B, very importantly, what's your monthly cash outflow on things like rent, food, travel, education, entertainment, mortgage, etc. The smaller the first number, i.e. your inflow, the larger the second number, i.e. your outflow, the more you need to have as cash in the bank. This is the CFA trainer. This is the- <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry for going into lecture mode. <laughs> I couldn't help it. No, no, no. It's very good. It's very good. That's exactly what we're looking for. So to be on the safe side, and of course, this is you know subjective, at least you should have about 36 months of cash expenses in your bank account, three years, right? Before you yeah. even think of leaving. Now, it's a very good question, interesting question you asked me, Annie, about financial independence. I think people should aim for financial independence right from the start of their careers. I should have, I wished I had. But many of us start saving much later in life, right? Yeah. And that's a problem because many of us start stagnating in our late 30s, early 40s in terms of corporate life. It happens to many of us. It's natural. And if you have financial independence because of savings, it gives you huge flexibility, you know, at that critical juncture in your life. I mean, unimaginable. It's so bloody miserable, Annie, when you hate your job and want to do something else, but just have to keep working to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. 
Many people feel like this. That's mm. why this podcast and try to help everyone. But I actually completely agree with you. You have to start from day one of your career and mm-hmm. start thinking, okay, what are my savings? What are my investments, etc. Because even if you have a family, you can still do it. Correct. I have other guests later on who have done it. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. So it's always possible, right? So on the next question, we all have doubts, right? Mm. How did you overcome uncertainty? Because you had a side hustle and this and that, but still, you know, you are yeah. quitting something stable, which pays every month and you go into the unknown. Look, and I, I got to be honest. I wish I had a story where I had, I had huge doubts and fears <laughs> <laughs> and challenges. And I, I persevered and pushed hard. And I really had no doubts because I'll tell you why on the serious note, right? Yeah. By the time I quit corporate life and joined my training company, we already had a company that had been running for about nearly a year. The company had already established a unique selling proposition. The competition was quite mediocre, to be frank. And as always in these kinds of businesses, Annie, the word of mouth was helping us get new clients. That helped a lot. And because the way the business works is students pay you in advance, but you pay your suppliers later. So it's what we call in finance a negative working capital situation, right? Yeah. So we were cash flow positive from day one, also because our overheads, our expenses are pretty low. I mean, we used rented premises for the classes. We had a tiny, tiny cubicle, which three of us shared (laughs) using one internet connection. And the two co-founders who joined full-time, we both withdrew the minimum, minimum amount in cash from the business. We were lucky because we were not bothered by also not keeping up appearances. And this is so important, Annie, because if you live in a city like Dubai or New York or Hong Kong or Singapore, it's very easy to fall into this FOMO, right? Yeah. And spend money on clothes and housing and shopping and eating out. And so we had none of that. I still don't have any of that hangups. And of course, that means lower fixed personal cost. So I think, to be honest, it was probably the one of the most stress-free entrepreneurship launches ever that I've heard about. No, though, great. It's it's a great story. And I wish this type of story to many people, Mm. to be honest. Okay, so I mentioned also that you are um, a podcaster yourself. Yes. And you have the Real Finance Mentor podcast. Do you have any interesting story or advice to share from many people you interviewed with regards to career pivot? Mm, yeah, that's a fascinating topic that both of us share interest in and the career transitions, right? Yeah. So let me give you some bit of context, right? A bit of background before I dive into it. So I have been in the CFA prep space for some time now. And as a result, I'm well known among CFA candidates and CFA charter holders. And also yeah. well known by most people in equity research, asset management and wealth management in both India and GCC. I say this for context because most of the queries are from such people in such sectors. Yeah. Right? Very, very narrow. Exactly. It's, it's a narrow but niche. And a lot of people, of course, they rise up the ranks. Now, coming to your question, the most common query I get on career pivots is from someone in their mid to late 30s, Annie, you know, usually working in accounting, banking, or finance in the UAE mostly, or GCC, Saudi, Kuwait, maybe who want to switch careers because they find that what they're doing now is too easy and just unbearably boring. And some of them are former students, CFA students. If they have the CFA charter, they also want to make a switch, Annie, because their work is often not even remotely connected to what they studied 
a thousand hours of their life for, you know, basically to pass the CFA exams. So they come to me and say, you know what, I'm 35, 37. I passed the exams about 10 years ago. I'm making good money, good title, okay boss, okay company. But is this it? <laughs> exactly. Is this it now, still the end of life? <laughs> is this it? Is this all what I was preparing for? Is, is this life? Is this all my career is? And it's a very interesting question, also very complex question to answer, Annie, because and my usual advice to them at a high level initially is that because each person is unique, this is a very complex situation that cannot be resolved by a quick call or a meeting, right? Yeah. It involves a lot of something that I'm very focused on, which is self-awareness, which is your values, your skills, your preferences. You need to do a detailed market analysis to find out where are the gaps out there, the opportunities out there. They need to sit back and then okay, look at the various career options and craft a career strategy. And also fill the skill gaps that you have. The market demands this skill, you don't have it. So how are you going to fill that? And of course, consistent execution on many, many areas, including networking, LinkedIn, soft skills. I mean, you name it, right? So that's my answer. And I would love to intervene as an executive coach, and I do often. But unlike in the West, Annie, the coaching mentality is not that widespread in Middle East and Asia, as you probably are aware of, as so it's not. So people uh, overrate technical skills and qualifications and heavily underrate the importance of soft skills and like communication and networking and things like that and the many significant future benefits of coaching. And I'm very much instead focused on the immediate cost of coaching or mentoring or soft skills training or whatever. So that is the situation. Those are the questions. Those are the challenges. Those are the answers I give. And that's something that people have to basically sit back and think hard about. Yeah, that's great advice. And mm -hmm. I have to say that for the last eight months since I pivoted my career, LinkedIn and networking has been the source of any business opportunities I had. Only LinkedIn. Right. So mm -hmm. I met so many people and so many opportunities. So this is all for people who are not in LinkedIn. Please, folks, get in. Absolutely. So let's talk about once you were already an entrepreneur, what are key obstacles? How did you overcome them? Anything that you can give as an advice so people are prepared? How prepared for, I mean, life on the other side is entrepreneur, you mean, right? Yeah, exactly. On the other side. On the other side, yeah. Is the grass greener? <laughs> is the question. <laughs> it's very interesting you say that. It's a very important question. People always think the grass is greener on the other side, right? In every situation in life. Always. If you have yeah. a job, you want another job. I was prepared for the technical side, right, Annie? Because I was a trainer anyway. I was a chartered accountant and a CFA charter holder. I had been training. And so I was okay with the technical side. That was the easy part, the training part at the risk of sounding immodest. I was always regarded as an exceptional trainer and mentor, not just in CFA prep, but also in executive education. Now, what I wasn't prepared for was mostly the non-technical stuff. And that's a big list, but I'll read out the list for you. Yeah, please read it, yeah, please. <laughs> Starting number one, number one, people management. I was not very good people manager and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that and factors, et cetera, et cetera. I was intolerant, impatient, not very empathetic, very aggressive, very intense. And that is not good. I had issues with over-delegation to my junior. So 
unlike what I normally speak and write about, the main issue that people have is micromanagement, right? I was never mm-hmm. a micromanager. I was the opposite. I would give them total freedom. But then I ended up giving freedom and delegation to people who are not trained or ready to do the job. And that led to quite a few screw-ups. I had also issues getting and retaining quality staff. Hiring was a problem and retaining people was a problem. Hiring was a problem because I was a first-generation entrepreneur. I had hired in my corporate life, but this is different, right? You're hiring for your company. Yeah, it's very different hiring in corporate and hiring for your company. And we were both not familiar with it. And we made many hiring mistakes, many. And we hired good people, but then we didn't always hang on to them. And they left because, you know, you're a small company. They left for a bigger brand, yeah, yeah. more pay. The work culture wasn't great sometimes. So that is another thing. And for a small company, when good people leave, that can hit you hard. Co-founder mismatch was another issue I faced. So I had a co-founder. We were exactly opposites. <laughs> okay. And that was helpful very, very, because I was the hyperactive, hard-driving quality-focused face of the company. Mm-hmm. He was the mature, quiet, methodical, process-oriented, middle office, back office. So that was a fantastic match in terms of skill sets, right? Absolutely. But because of that mismatch of complementary skill sets, you end up with non-complementary attitudes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to explain this a little bit. I had to explain it. So very simple. So... My attitude would be quality at any cost, which is not exactly the, you know, what you call the best way. But if there was quality and there was cost, I would say, let's forget about the cost to the company for doing this for students. What I'm really concerned about is student experience and outcomes. Yeah. My co-founder came from a cost-focused process orientation, right? And would be like, maybe, no, we are spending too much. We don't know what the returns are going to be. It's too risky. Can we afford it? So that was the interesting contrast. It made you think, of course, to be honest. I say that, but it it really makes you think, okay, am I doing the right thing? So it made me make sure that whatever quality or initiative I was starting was really not something fancy or fluffy. It had to result in some tangible student outcomes. It made me think hard about that, right? Yeah. And the personalities are very different, right? I'm very, you know, what do you call, open, jovial, amiable, funny. He was opposite, right? very quiet, <laughs> low profile. So staff would sometimes like, would wonder. What are these two doing together, <laughs> right? Exactly. They would say, what are these guys? They could not imagine both of us working together. They could never yeah. imagine it. But the great thing is that the company would not have reached where it was without him or me. If it had been me alone, it would have probably just been quality, dreams, student outcomes, hyperactivity, marketing, social media, great classes. But then the back office, yeah. the process would be a mess. If it was just him alone, it would be just processes, operations, cost focus, profitability, but maybe certain outcomes, quality, the face of the company, publicity. So I think it was pure accident and that we came together. It was not planned. <laughs> you were very lucky. <laughs> I was what lucky. can I say? The clients were lucky. He was lucky. I was lucky. And this is one of those things that, you know, you can't plan for, right? It's, it's like a marriage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You either get the right person and it's fantastic, like which I think in your case you did. Yeah. Or you get uh, somebody else and my God, your life is a nightmare. 
Exactly, exactly. So when you pivoted, mm. exited, and you had some kind of a plan for how things will develop, mm. sitting now, looking back, did you need to adjust the plan a little or did you have to kind of do unexpected things? What's the, your story? So did I follow the plan before I left corporate life? Did I need to adjust the plan a little? To be honest, Andy, we didn't have an elaborate plan before we, we started this full time, right? Mm. Our plan was, I know it sounds very simple and basic, but our plan was to simply deliver great classes, have fun, have freedom and, and grow in the financial training business, right? It's a simple business with a very strong USP, strong positive cash flow from day one, very deep competition, a loyal client base and two competent founders, myself and my co-founder. So really there were no major issues that required us to adjust the plan, right? Okay, no problem. All right. So this was really so interesting. Very interesting discussion. I'm very happy you're my guest. And let's conclude with you giving the listeners three key steps, lessons learned for a successful career pivot. You know, when you ask three questions, I'm, I'm strongly tempted to say, give 10 answers. But since you insist on three, <laughs> I'll give it to three. Get the top ones, you know, because people work with yeah. One, two, three maximum. The others will work with 15, 20, 25. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you just give the three top ones. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I think the first point is this not in any particular order, but my, the first thing that comes to my mind would be if you want to be an entrepreneur or freelancer, I would say start something that you're brilliant at within a, like a 200 kilometer radius or even bigger. Because my belief, Annie, and this is a very strong belief I have, is you should not just be merely 20% or 50% better than the competition. You should be like 100% better than the competition. You should be so good that it will be extremely tough for the competition to close the gap, if at all. I say this from personal experience because they never caught up with us, even till the time we exited after nine years. This was one thing that helped us grab and grow market share. And I think the reason was that both the co-founders were also trainers. We were not just managing the business. Yeah. So we knew what worked. We knew what didn't work. We got feedback instantly and we immediately incorporated the feedback. So that was, that just kept us ahead and we were so good at it. Second point was, I talked about that briefly, Annie. I think people's skills are critical, especially if your biggest assets in your company are people, which was in our case, right? Because our, our most valuable assets were the full-time trainers who are all CFA charter holders and you no. Know, where some of my left industry like and banks to join us as full-time trainers. And I found that if you keep your people happy, they will do their best to keep the clients happy and the effect flows to the revenues and profits and you don't need to worry. Totally. But you must be great with people as a leader. And that's a big thing. Trusting, delegating, communicating. And you can't just be brilliant at the technical stuff and say, you know what, people's stuff will take care of itself. No, it won't. That was the second thing. And the third tip I would give someone who is looking for a career pivot into entrepreneurship, even freelancing would be do something mainly because you truly enjoy it and want to do it. And it's not like you have to do it. I quit corporate life, like I mentioned the story, right? Yeah. Because it was like unshackling me and I was no longer a prisoner and I breathed in the fresh air of freedom <laughs> and independence. <laughs> And I swear I was not thinking about profits or salary or exits at that point. I had no idea yeah. about those. Zero. 
So if you enjoy what you do, you may become very good at it, right? Because you're just passionate about it and your reputation will grow and so will the business. And I co-founded Genesis when I had a huge passion to teach in 2009 and I quit teaching in 2019 when that passion died. Yeah. So I think the lesson here would be start something when you're passionate, stop it when the passion goes away. Don't hang on for too long. Passion for teaching lasted a decade, which is saying a lot for myself because I get bored very quickly. So <laughs> I'm actually surprised myself, like, you know, wow, you lasted for a decade in teaching. That's big, man. How do you do it? So, yeah, so three tips, basically. The first would be be brilliant at something, be great at people's skills. And last would be do something because you, you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. What a great closure of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for being my guest and all the best. Thank you, Annie. It's been a great time talking to you. I love the topic. I love always talking to you and I wish you the very best with this podcast series. Thank you so much. Thanks, Annie. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Change is Possible podcast. I hope you enjoyed If there is any topic that you're interested in or would like to nominate a guest, please drop me a message via LinkedIn. Have a great day. Bye.